Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This is episode 157. And we are welcoming a special guest of the podcast. His name is Tyler Hamilton. And if you've been a listener of the podcast for over a year, you know that Tyler was the co-host of this very podcast with me for uh, just about three years, 139 episodes. So a very good friend, uh, somebody who's very important to me, very important to this show, very important to a lot of the people who listen to this podcast. Uh, It might be how you actually found the show in the first place. So thank you for tuning in, Tyler. Thank you for making some time to come back and chat with Laval and I. Very fun to turn the microphone around and have Tyler as a guest, and we will definitely endeavor to do this again. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by 4i Innovations. So that's the number four and then the letter i four times dot com is where you can visit 4i. They make power meters, they make heart rate monitors, they do all kinds of cool stuff. They've been sponsoring the podcast for a little bit now, and we actually are doing a giveaway. We've got a couple of power meters, and we also have a couple of heart rate monitors to give away to listeners. So here's how we're going to do this over the next four episodes. At the intro of the episode, I'm going to give you a clue, so you need to give it a listen Uh, pick out the clue and then either send us a note on Instagram. So shoot us a DM on Instagram. It's the Adventure Audio page or an email to adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com and give us the answer to the clue and then you'll be entered to win. So we're going to do this for the next four episodes. You can enter more than once. So you can enter for each episode with a message or an email and uh, we will randomly select some winners after four episodes. So this episode's clue is, what year did Tyler and I meet? So that's in the episode. So shoot us an email or a note on Instagram with that. And visit 4i Innovations on their website. It's, again, the number four and the letter i, four times.com. Very, very cool and innovative company. We're honored to be able to work with them. And we're very excited to be able to give some stuff away to listeners. Thank you again to Tyler. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you're able to give us a positive rating and review, wherever you find the podcast, that goes a long way to helping us find new audience members. On to episode 157 of Adventure Audio. I'll get us rolling here. Tyler, welcome back. This uh, fam- a, fam- a warm and familiar space to you. So, uh, um, I, yeah, where to start? I, I don't even want to, uh, I don't want to just roll right into things cause I could talk to you like normally, you know, and I've heard lots of your story and we've talked so much off the podcast, um, that I'd, I'd love for you to walk, take listeners a little bit farther back who maybe aren't familiar with your background. So our audience has been changing a little bit and it's becoming a little bit less cycling focused, a little more general adventure focus as a result of Laval co-hosting it. But, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people know, uh, a lot of our listeners probably won't know your entire story. Uh, and it goes, it goes back pretty far, obviously with cycling in particular and ski racing. So you can take us into that, but yeah, for those who are newer to the show, Tyler hosted 139 episodes of this thing with, right. Oh, OG. Yeah. Oh, gee. Uh, Totally. Yeah. That's crazy to hear out loud, right? Like that is a lot. That's a ton of, con- <laughs> that's a, that is a lot of conversations. And, and on top of that, we probably talked like almost once a week preparing for things on the podcast too. So we've talked about a whole bunch of different stuff and uh, yeah, I count you amongst my closer friends. So I really appreciate you making a little bit of time. And uh, when it was time for you to step away, I was instantly looking forward to having you back on as a guest. Oh, 
Oh. Well, hey, it's really good to see you guys. And uh, I, I think 2.0 is a, cer certainly an upgrade for sure. Double you know, so whatever. Boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, Laval. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you guys are a great team. I listened to your last podcast when you guys were just rambling uh, together, and it was great. You guys are like long lost brothers. For sure, not, for sure. I'm the, I'm the younger brother and, for sure, but that's and you, got, and, and you got and you guys still get after it, which is really incredible. So you know, I, it motivates me. I'm sure it motivates a lot of the listeners to like get out. Like Laval, you're out doing some crazy run and then a bike ride, and then the next day riding with Pete. You guys are getting after it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So nice to see you both. Um, I don't know where you where I should start. It's kind of, I mean I can take the whole podcast, but. That's uh, fun. We'll, t we'll but, take us, take us, we'll take us way back to to uh, young Tyler, youngest sure. of three, right? Youngest of three, yeah. older sister, older brother, a couple of years, two, three years older than me. It's sort of an know. accident waiting for a place to happen most of your childhood. Excuse me. Sort of an accident waiting for a place to happen for most of your childhood. Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. I always chase around my older brother, older sister, and you know their friends, and so I felt lucky to be kind of the youngest. I think as an as an athlete, I think that's an advantage to kind of be the youngest. And oh, you're always learning. You're certainly always learning for sure. Uh, yeah, I grew up. My parents are outdoorsy people, super outdoorsy. And, uh, you know, we didn't go to church, but they said our church was the, the mountains and the White Mountains of New Hampshire were, where we spent a lot of time. So we, I grew up in uh, the eastern part of Massachusetts, a town called Marblehead. And then, uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time in the White Mountains of New Hampshire skiing, hiking. Yeah, uh, getting in trouble as a kid, you know, and just, uh, yeah, tons of fun. Became, it was just, you know, followed in my brother's footsteps, uh, ski racing. He started ski racing when he was probably eight. And so, yeah, followed in his footsteps and became a ski racer. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And it was my, uh, it was my sport, really, um, for my whole, like, young adult life, really, until, I, you know, until I got to college. Uh, it was my, it was my love. Yep. And, and then, you went to college on a was it a ski racing scholarship? No, I didn't. I was on a scholarship, but I okay. wasn't on a scholarship. But there was uh, I went to CU Boulder, which was one of the top uh, ski universities in the country. Uh, great coach, and yeah, I I went there. I went away to a private school in high school so I could ski race or I could ski every day during you know during the uh, during the school week, and then yeah, I went away to college at University of Colorado and. Uh, yeah, it was an amazing time. Opened my eyes to the West, and you know what it's like living out out here. It's been uh, been awesome. You know, I love the East Coast. I'm a you know Bostonian. Call me a masshole, but it's uh, you know I, I I love the West. I love the West, and I love big open spaces. And so, yeah, going to University of Colorado was a great experience for me. My sophomore year, uh, dryland training with the ski team, actually on mountain bikes. I I uh, they had us racing around this track, and I went over my handlebars head first into the ground and uh, broke two vertebrae in my upper back and that was basically the end of my ski racing career yeah and then uh you know i'd been bike racing a little bit to stay in shape for ski racing in the in the winter and uh you know when i got i was in bed for like eight weeks and when i got out of bed they said i could ride a road bike and okay and so and little did i know boulder colorado was a huge cycling town probably a bigger cycling town than a ski town for sure and uh, yeah, I was lucky to be there. And just before I knew it, I was, you know, riding with 
all sorts of amazing uh, cyclists, you know, professional or top amateurs, you know, they just, they were all around Boulder and uh, it was a great, I mean, the best place probably to learn, probably in the world, I would say. Do you think that, that you would have discovered cycling had it not been for the accident? Like you ever think about that? That's a real yeah, fuck in the road, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, probably not, probably not, probably not. It all, everything That's happened, crazy. everything, there were so many forks, so many different places where I could have gone left instead of right and just, yeah, my career wouldn't have been the same for sure uh so yeah it was um i i was i recovered from my back injury got out on the roads outside of boulder and re quickly realized i was pretty good at it uh and then there was i ran into some cu cycling team university of colorado colorado cycling team members and they they encouraged me to join the uh the university team so I did that and yeah, you know, a year later won a collegiate national championship in my hometown of Boston, which was awesome. And then, uh, the next year I rode on the U S national team, traveled all around the world had to drop out of college. Then the next year I was professional. Yep. And a couple of years later I was on the start line of the tour de France. So, so Tyler on that, just let me uh, interject for a second here. Cause I'm fascinated. It sounds like it was very rapid from the time you got out of the hospital with your busted vertebrae in your back. Uh, first question is, did you have it, have you had any long lasting, uh, issues with your back? And secondly, what was the time period between stepping into that hospital and, and winning the collegiate championships in, uh, in Massachusetts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was about a year and a half, uh, well, between the, yeah, between breaking the back and then winning the championship, I believe something like that. Uh, and do I still feel it today? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 52 years old, you know, yeah, my eyesight's not that good anymore. Yeah, I'm back. I'm losing my hair, you know, all the good things, but yeah, you know, it's not part of it. Yeah. The doctor said, said, I'll probably feel my back for the rest of my life. And you know, when weather comes in, oh, you can really feel it, but you know, I do a lot of stretching and yeah, yoga and I try to take care of myself. And yeah, when it really hurts, yeah, like the Epsom salt bath, that'll do the trick for sure. So you're lined up on the start line of the Tour de France. How old are you? Uh, I think I was like 24, baby. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, uh, yeah, went through college. Yeah, I was a little bit older, you know, I, uh, I went three and a half years through college, you know, didn't quite finish, but was, uh, I feel like I was rounding, rounding the final bend for sure. So I, you know, got to experience that. That was great. And yeah, and then I showed up on, what was that? The 1997 Tour de France. Yeah. My third year as a professional. The first two years I rode on, or the existing team that I was on was more of a, like a pro domestic professional team racing primarily in North America, a little bit in Europe. But 1997 is when, uh, you know, the team took a step up, the, uh, the sponsorship in increased and yeah, we became a like a European-based team, European staff, European riders. Um, yeah, and that's when it all got started. I remember reading in your book, and and you've told me this really sincerely, that when that first tour, you thought, like, this is going to be something that happens for, like, a couple of years, a handful of years, and it's going to yeah, be I want, yeah. I thought all over, right? One. Yeah, I thought maybe yeah. just one. Yeah, when I got, you know, not only did we, the team I was on, the U.S. Postal Service team, it was... Uh, we were we had to be in 1997. We had to make it as a wild card selection. So we had to have good results in the spring, and if we got good results and got selected, then you also had to then make the team selection. You know, we had 24, 25 riders on the team. You had to be the 
Back then, they raced nine guys in the tour. So you had to be one of the best nine. So, yeah, when I finally got selected, I was like, oh, man, this is this is crazy. I never imagined this would ever happen. So, yeah, I told my parents, and I said, come early because I don't know if I'll finish. So, yeah. yeah, I was just like to be on the start line. Honestly, just to get a number on my back, that was the coolest thing. And I didn't know. <clears throat> I thought I might be back in college the next, you know, that next year. I don't I didn't know. I didn't know where my career was going, but it was, you know, just taking it all in. I was certainly felt like I was one of the greener competitors to be in the Tour de France. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that was fun. Those were some of the best days, like, you know, surprising yourself and surprising other people. Yeah. How did that first tour go for you? Like, was it? Um, it was super hard, super hard. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. I mean, a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. Yeah. I mean, it bonked a couple times, or you know, the full bonk when you just run out of all, all sugar, and like that's just hard. And that's hard when you're trying to just hold a wheel. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you learn so much in those early years. You learn so much. You know, you can learn years in one Tour de France, which is three weeks long. You you learn, you know, a lifetime of things for sure. Was there a big difference in the level, the European level, compared to the to the U.S. level of cycling? Was it just a it more cutthroat, more aggressive. What was it? Uh, yeah, probably all the above. All the above. Yep, yep. Stronger, faster, smarter, wiser. Yep, yep. And I felt those that you know the two years before that as well in ninety five, ninety six. You know, we were a domestic pro team, but we we spent a lot of, a lot of time kind of jumping back and forth across the pond, as we called it. Just do we jump in and do go over there for like a week or two weeks, do some races, fly back. So, so, and I got to do 1996, I got to do the tour of Switzerland, which, which is a huge race. And that's where I really noticed like, wow, you know, the speed over here is a lot. It's, a, it's just, it's a lot faster than the U S you know, in 1996, I was the first alternate to the, for the Olympic team. So I was, you know, I wasn't too, I wasn't bad, a bad rider for sure. I was pretty good. You know, certainly growing, growing, had a lot, had a lot to learn and was growing still had a lot to, a lot of room to grow, but man. We got to Europe and it was just, it was night and day, the difference, you know. I could kind of, in the U.S., I could pick and choose where I wanted to be in the Peloton, more or less, you know. In Europe, it was, in the Tour of Switzerland, at least in 96, it was hang on for dear life, dear life. Yeah. yeah. But when we talk about, like, how, <laughs> think how I mean, how, how think, timing's everything, right? So you have this accident training yeah. and you're to totally focused on your ski career. It sends you in a 180 degree opposite trajectory, but then you also get to Europe, become, and then join a European based team uh, in 1996, 97, which now, with the benefit of hindsight, we all realize was obviously a pretty brutal time to be joining that sport and trying to make a go of it because everybody was faced with some pretty difficult choices if they wanted to, to stick around or not, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, for me, that, that, sort of fork in the road crossroads came in the spring of 1997 yeah i've been uh again we were we were uh, uh hoping to get into the tour de france as a wild 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 card selection you know the team made results i had just finished like a su super hard stage race in southern spain i was just exhausted in my hotel bed laying there and the team one of the team doctors came in and and that's when, you know, doping was first like presented to me, you know, it started with just a like a little red testosterone pill, 
you know, and then big picture, like taking a few steps back at, it was, it was, uh, just, that was the start of it. That was the start of it, you know, and taking a few steps back, what, yeah, taking that little red egg, little red testosterone pill wasn't a huge deal, you know, of, of like, what, what am I trying to say here? It was just a little speck of like what was going to happen basically. And, you know, I had no idea what that was going to lead to, but yeah, it led to just a whole kind of a whole different life, a, a little bit of a dark life for sure. Uh, a little bit or def definitely a double life. You know, you had the person everyone thought you were, and then you had the person you were, you know, embarrassed about for sure, for sure. Or, you know, and yeah, yeah. From that moment on my career, yeah, took, it changed. It certainly changed. You know, it wasn't drastic, but it, you know, things things evolved. You know, four or five years later, things looked a lot different. A lot different. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, one of the better riders in the world for sure. So yep. that that little testosterone pill wouldn't be what you considered crossing the Rubicon. It was. Is it when you guys started doing EPO that you felt like it was you stepped up another level? Oh no, I mean that was with taking this red testosterone pill. That was that was. That, I mean, that was it. That was it. That, that was, was it. That's big, what that was a big in. moment. That was a big moment for sure. I mean, looking back, I'm just saying, like, looking back, it was a bit of dirt. That that testosterone pill, pill was like a little bit dirt on a little bit of dirt on my shoe. You know, mm -hmm. by the end, it was like I was up to my neck in mud. You know, that's a good was, way to put it. Maybe a little over exaggerating it, but it was just the start of it. And you know, yeah, that's that's how it went. That's how it went. It, it was. Doping at the time was pretty prevalent in the sport of cycling. Which I didn't start pretty, it. Pretty, you know, pretty I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Really, I didn't really. start it. You know, some of those other people that you, you know, their names, they didn't start it. It had been around for a long time. You know, if you read the history books, yeah, you know, there was doping way back in, you know, the early 1900s. So, uh, not oh, to say that it was not to say that it was right. I, you know, I knew what I was yep. doing was wrong. I, I lost a lot of sleep over it. Yeah, my parents taught me the difference between right and wrong. But yeah, I mean, I felt like I was at a crossroads there, and like that, if I wanted to continue at this sport, that was the decision to decision to make. You know, I know it's easy on the other side to say, "Oh, you know, that's wrong. You, you made the wrong choice." Cut uh, as clear as day. But it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of gray. There was a lot of gray back then. Yeah. There always is a lot of nuances. There's a lot of nuances to every story, right? For sure, for sure, for sure. I think that people need to, uh, you know, and not to be like an apologist because you're my friend, but like with the benefit, again, of hindsight and also some age too. Like now I've got like my oldest, my oldest kid is closer to the age of you being on that start line than I am now. And I think about things in those contexts, like young people, especially young men need to kind of be protected from themselves. And if I put myself in my 22, 23, 24 year old shoes and somebody says like, you're this close to being one of the best at what you do and, the, and, and the people who are ahead of you and making quadruple what you make and stuff are doing this. I mean, I don't know. I like to, I like to think that I would have known better, man, but I, to, if I'm honest with myself at that age, now I would walk away because I'm 44, For sure. right? Mm -hmm. But at 24, I don't know. 
Yeah, I had yeah. a I had a propensity for risky decisions, um, which a lot of people do at that age, right? And we just have we we don't have the ability to project of the potential consequence and what is this going to like? You never sat down and thought, oh my god, what is this going to feel like when I'm 52? Right? No, I, I never. No, no. I mean, I I wish I did. I wish I took. I always say to people like, I wish I'd taken two steps back and like thought about it. But I felt like I had to make a decision right then at that that second. You know, this was yeah. a prestigious like team doctor who had worked with all sorts of champions you know over his career and like i don't know i, I yeah my it was my bad I, I wish i'd taken some time to kind of think about it and come back to him with the with really how i felt you know but i just what did, would, what did what i thought i was supposed to do it what would happen yeah good confused. question good question yeah. i think more confusion probably more confusion because i probably or I think I might have tried to do the right thing, and then I don't know. Maybe they would have tried to convince me not to. I don't know how that would have gone. Yeah, or or eventually quit, right? I'd come home. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe that would have been a hard. That would have been tough. That would have been tough. Totally. Sure. Like, I mean, sure. we we had uh, one of the more impactful interviews that you and I did was with your former teammate Scott Mercier, and that was, yeah, yeah, you know, like it was a very small handful of people who did that. And, um, again, if I put myself in those shoes at, at that age, I don't think I would have been able to, I think I would have been too competitive and too caught up in it. And, uh, I probably would have continued to swim with the pack. Sure. Instead yeah. of upstream there. Like, that's just, you know, like, I regret to say that out loud, but that's probably the truth about early twenties, Pete. And I think it's the truth about a lot of your, your peers there too. Right. Especially when you get dropped into a place where it seems so. I don't know, man. That's uh, that is yeah, tough, I, but it's I didn't, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't seek it out. You know, it it found me. But you know, I I still knew the difference between right and wrong and what I should have done for sure. For sure, I and I do have a lot of friends who pulled me aside and said I would have done the same thing. You know, but yeah, there were a couple of guys, my teammates, who were maybe a little bit older and wiser. One by the name of Darren Baker, the other Scott Mercier. You know, they had gotten through college and all that and had maybe a career. They knew maybe their, their career past cycling. Regardless of that, they made the right choice. And, uh, but, you know, packed their bags and basically went home. Yeah, that's, you know, we obviously needed to talk a little bit about that. But, but you know, you still went on to have a really, in, in a lot of other ways, really important and fulfilling career. And, uh, you know, some incredible things happen that they don't unhappen just because of the era and cycling that you were in, you know, they are, and you obviously made lifelong friends and, you know, it, yes. it, like from my perspective, it largely shaped your adult life, right? The whole experience. Yeah. 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 The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. All, all of it. All so of after all that first tour, when you're just like hanging on for dear life, when did you realize that like, whoa, this is actually going to be my job for the foreseeable future? When did that uh, switch flip? Yeah. That's a great question. I would say in the next tour, in the middle of the next tour, uh, or maybe I think it was like stage maybe eight or nine. It was a so the 1998 tour. Um, it was a time trial. It was like a really tough time trial, maybe 62, 64 kilometers, which is long, long, long time trial. And it was up, down, up, down, up, down all day long. I was definitely like a domestique, a workhorse for the team. They didn't even give me a follow. You know, I was a t starting out early on. I was like, 
best at the time trial because it, it was point A to point B as fast as you could go. You know, you'd have to worry about other riders. So it was, the, it was, uh, it was the event that kind of came most natural to me. And then there I was in the 98 tour for this time trial. Yeah. Yeah. Low man on the totem pole. They didn't give me a follow car. My team, one of the Tour de France society had, had a follow car for me. And yeah, they had an extra set of wheels back in the trunk. And I got second behind Jan Ulrich. So in the entire at, team, not second. I no, no, second on the, second on the stage. Yeah. Yeah, on that stage on, on a sixty some k time trial. Yeah, I went. I went for it. I went for it. I was. I don't know. I did, it was really hot. I hadn't, and I made sure to not really warm up too much because I'm like, you know, I'm gonna I have plenty of time to warm up, warm up on the course. So, and I just went for it. And I, I went hard, uh, hard as I could on all the uphills and descended the downhills like a madman, and, and got to recover a little bit. And then every, you know, it was like shark's teeth: up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah, and when I finished, after finishing second that day, you know, beating, you know, the guy who won the year before, and the, you know, just beating all, everyone, beating everyone else but Jan. That was when, uh, you know, somebody came up to me and said, you know, you can someday win the Tour de France. And I was like, whoa. You know, I thought they were crazy, but, you know, if I could learn to climb, you know, if I can time trial like that and I can, you know, lose some weight, learn, lose some of that ski racing muscle, ma muscle mass, you know, maybe I could, there's a chance I could win the Tour de France someday. That's what he told. So, yeah, I think that's what I knew. That's what I knew. Did you guys have radios in that in that uh, in that race? Were you being updated on your splits? So you're just hammering, just just, just balls to the walls. Oh yeah, just real kind simple. Of, kind of the way it should be, I think. You know, just yep. go for, just go for it. Leave it all out there. I mean, I died. I, I remember the last like five k. I was dead. There was one last climb up to the finish. I think I lost a big chunk of time there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just went for it. It just went on field. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Like, no pressure. Nobody's behind. I mean, just some, uh, you know, French sponsor was behind me, you know, enjoying it, I guess. Rolling. So it was, when, yeah, it was when cool. you come second to Ian Ulrich and you're a green, uh, like a green rider that nobody really knows about, and you're sort of on the, would you guys be considered the bad news bears back then? Like just uh, this American team that shouldn't be there and you're getting some, probably some disrespect from the European media and the European teams. There must have yeah. been a discussion that happened that night, either in the bus or in the hotel about, about your future plans. Um, yeah. I mean, we were definitely known as the bad news bears. Yeah. We didn't, you know, back then or, you know, like bike racing, most professional teams at the high level have big buses and all that with showers inside and places, you know, plenty of room, but we had two rented like little campers for, or nine riders, you know, it was like three or four in one and you know, the rest of the rest in the other, you know, plus all the equipment and stuff. Like, you know, it was like chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Like you go around a corner and you just hear everything rolling around. It was, yeah. Yeah. But honestly, those were, those were the good, those were the fun moments really. Like, you know, the proving everyone wrong, like climbing the ladder, all that, you know, people, I remember a lot, you know, Italian riders, French riders, whatever, Spanish riders ragging on some of our equipment, all that, you know, just, you know, just kind of, or if we, if we, I remember one time having uh, Ekimov, Vlachislav Ekimov in the race leader's jersey, maybe 90, 1997 or 1998, in a, in a, in a French stage race. And I remember we were riding on the front and, 
you know, trying to trying to defend his lead and having other riders coming up, you know, looking at their nails and doing that. Like just well, ragging on us, just ragging on us. Like, oh, is this is the speed you're going to ride? Like, yeah. But, uh, you know, over the years, we proved him wrong and, and I guess figured out the game, you know, and climbed the ranks. Must have been a lot of camaraderie in those shitty little campers, hey? Just you yeah. guys know, knowing that you were the underdogs, but yet you were proving yourselves? Yeah, totally, totally. And there's, you know, nothing better than when, there's not the, no better motivation when someone says you can't do something. You know, or like, or, you know, when, you know, a few years later when Lance is on the team and he's in yellow and the Tour de France, like, oh, sure, he's strong, but he's got a weak team behind him. They can't climb in the mountains. Like, uh, you know, that was a bad move. That was a bad move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, right? Like, I'm sure with you guys, like, you, you somebody tells you you can't do something, like, right? The hairs in your back stand up a little bit, right? I can see, P, you're starting to get pissed. Right? No, but right? Yeah, I mean, it motivates me still to this day. Like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, sure. Just watch. Just watch. So Definitely. You grew, so growing up in the outdoors, though, and being such an active ski racer, and I'm sure lots of, like, hiking and trail running and just basically generally effing around in the woods, how hard was that to sort of give up when you became so entrenched in professional racing? Because, I like, I think I remember... So you saying in your book that you wouldn't even go on walks with your wife at the time sometimes if there was a big race the next day and you're living and you're living in Girona, Spain but you like don't want to go walking around old Girona because like I got to stay off of my feet like that's got to be really hard for somebody who's that outdoorsy to suddenly be reined in in a lot of other ways right you're incredibly yeah. fit at this one thing but you really kind of have to let a lot of that other stuff go during your career right yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it was a slow transition to that, to being that like hyper focused. You know, it wasn't always like that. But yeah, like when you're when you're at the tip top and you're training like like a madman, you know, you got to rest. You got to re you got rest is equally as important as the training. So like they always would tell us when you're standing, sit, and when you're sitting, lie down. Like well, you know, so like just pay attention to rest. Pay attention to rest. Every it wasn't that I didn't want to go walking, but it was I couldn't. I was exhausted. It's probably what you're getting paid to do too, right? Is to I was so tired, so well. tired, so tired. Yeah. Were, were you going to? And, and on top of that, you're always hungry too. Like, yeah, I was going to ask that. They don't talk about it a whole lot, but you know, that must have then, been a real issue. Yeah, weight loss. It it was back then, and I think it's even to this day. It's, it's modern it's cycling. Worse. It's it's worse out here on yeah. on both sides, men and women. Yeah. So, Gary and, so and, and no one likes to talk about it. Gary Thomas just brought it up on his podcast uh, he's, uh, yesterday or the day before about how hard it is to maintain that weight. And he said it's one of the hardest things about being a cyclist is that I think he has to lose, was it eight kilos for each Grand Tour? So he's got to lose brutal. eight kilos. I mean, that's brutal for a guy, for a cyclist physique who's already super slim. Yeah, right. It's nuts. It's nuts. So, weigh, weighing your food? I, I never weighed my food, but I weigh myself a lot every morning, every morning on the scale. Like, I don't, I'm, I mean, I think I must have PTSD from it because I don't, but the only time I ever weigh myself is like when I go to the doctors and they tell me to get on the scale. Yeah, I don't do it. I, I, I hate it. Well, I hate it. Hey, I don't, I mean, I can, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, it's uh, not much fun, not much fun. And honestly, you get on that scale and that starts your day. And if it's not the number you want to see, it's like you're in a bad mood to start the day. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. You better have a good training session. But yeah, it was, there was a lot, you know, off the bike that was hard for sure. It was professional cycling's brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, pretty unforgiving. Yeah. I'm going to check on my son one more time. So yep. get yeah, no go for it. Go for it. From, he's going away himself, guaranteed. <laughs> check on my son is code for I'm going to weigh myself. But if you're really dialed in and really fit, like losing 10, 15, 20 pounds, like it'd be feel terrible, right? Oh, you'd have, you'd, you'd be weak. You'd have a headache all the time. Every time. And you're in Europe, you're going by bakeries and you're smelling patisserie and like, ugh. Must be brutal. Yeah. Another, yeah. Just in a bad mood. Yeah. Too, too, um, yeah. when you're too tired and the... hungry, when you're tired and hungry all the time, you know, you're probably, I don't know, I probably wasn't the best person to be around. Yeah. I think that's important for people to know that if you're going to be at the top of your game, no matter what it is in life, I don't care what you do, you don't have life, you don't have any balance in your life. Yeah. yeah. None. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 100%. But, but, 100%. but if you want to achieve those goals, you're going to have to go for that. And you're going to have to completely imbalance your life and just be a pro cyclist in Europe, which is going to be starving and training. Yeah. And as an American, I felt like we, or as a North American, I felt like we had an advantage. Because um, you go over there and like, you don't have that many friends or family around, right? They're all yeah. that North American. So, you know, I had teammates that get, they'd, show up at a stage race like oh i can finally rest like because they didn't they didn't have their family around or they have children and all that we were able i feel like we had, we had an advantage there because we were just just fully focused on your uh on your craft yeah you had a so, pretty isolated world as a result pretty isolated right? yeah. yeah it was like yeah. a month it wasn't that, it was definitely not very uh was it wasn't yeah from me, it looked it was pretty bleak looking life for sure. Yeah, people would see me in the Tour de France, great, but like that was just that's a small little snippet of your life. Yeah, most of it was pretty bleak, not that fun really, to be honest. What, with what, you. what was a typical? But, but, what was a typical day like? Like a but, typical training day? But I mean, but I not that fun. But I love the training. The training was the, my favorite part. You know, I mean, you get the endorphins, all that, and like just putting out a good day of training. How good that felt, you know. But when you get home. You know, back then I had like an SRM, a power meter, and you, you know, you download that, that file, you know, that's like doing your homework, you know, and I always like to do my homework and like, and, um, yeah, I liked, I mean, I felt like back, you know, in my heyday, I trained as hard as anyone for sure. And I, I didn't leave, I didn't leave anything out there. Basically. No matter on the weather, no matter on what was going on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, so what, you, what was it like? Tough weather. Yeah. Give me a, give me an example of, uh, when would you be peaking? Okay. So when would your, uh, your training will be the highest part of the tour? Would it be, um, beginning of June and then you start to taper or yeah, May, May, yeah, May, June would be May and the first half of June would be like big, big months of training for sure. Yeah. Typically, I, typically I do like a spring schedule where I'd kind of finish up with like Liege, Bachelon Liege or like Amstel gold, gold race and take. Uh, a few weeks off, maybe three weeks to a month off from racing, you know, go home to the United States maybe uh, for a few weeks and then, yeah, come back and then do 
do a race like the Dolphin A in early June as your kind of warm up race for the tour. Yeah. And then you're also focusing, you know, if you are carrying extra weight, which in May you typically were, you know, then it's like regime time. It's like, you know, no more messing around. Like, you know, you can't, you got to show up to the tour at race weight, at, at your tour race weight, which, you know, basically my whole season, you know, starting in January, December, it would be weight would be dropping, dropping, dropping. You know, end of June, you get it like right to basically where you need it. And then there you show up at the tour ready to go. But hard is hard. So hard to get to that. So much suffering, so much suffering to get your way to where it needs to be. And could you line up on the start line of a race and see who is at the right weight? Like, could you look at a guy and go, this guy's packing too much. He's, he's too heavy right now. Or are there some riders who defied the, uh, like defied the, that look, that cycling look, you go, this guy's going to be slow, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. A little of both, little of both, but you know, in the tour you do have a typically, I mean, every year is different, but back when I was racing, we would have about a week of racing on the flats or rolling terrain before we hit the big mountains. So you had an extra week to kind of lose that, you know, some riders would lose a kilo or two before, you know, before the mountains, I try to show up at like, to the, the weight I needs to be. And then, then yeah, you're not, you're not worried about restricting calories, you know, at the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I mean, you, you have a little bit more time if you, if you really need it, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you could see who was, you could typically see who was going pretty good, pretty quick. Yeah. And I'm sure you would hear yeah. all about it if you were not quite lean enough, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's not much fun either. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Especially for a obviously very fit young person to be getting critiqued like that. Like that's got to be, that's got to be tough. Oh yeah, I mean you got yeah we got yeah. If you showed up just anyway, I remember showing up to a training camp, you know, after an off season and a teammate saying, "Oh man, your family must like to cook." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like my cheeks are a little like, I'm like, wow, well, that's right. And I remember like, I was like devastated for a couple of days. Like, man, I'm fat. Like brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah. Like we're laughing, but yeah, for sure. That would get into your head pretty quick. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Definitely. That's crazy. So then, but then you went on to have a ton of success on the bike, right? So you were with Postal for a number of years and then you went on to, uh, CSC, right? When that's who you're riding with in, was it 2003 when you won Liege? 2002, 2003. Yeah, those two years. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great team. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Won Liege in 03. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, which is on YouTube. People should look that up. It's, uh, really? It's the last minute is because it's a great race, but then the last like sort of minute of the coverage, you're, uh, you still look young, but you look really young. <laughs> and you, as you keep looking behind your back, like you, like you can't believe you're about to win this thing. Like you're like, this can't be right. That's what, that's what your face looks like. Yeah. It's yeah pretty yeah. awesome. I rode for the last like five minutes of that race, like full panic while just, you know, yeah. Like, so, oh yeah, scared. I don't know why I looked back so many times, but I think it was, yeah, I was dying. You know, I could feel the lactic acid in my ears, you know, I just, yeah, I didn't want to be, I was get, I was fully committed and just um yeah it's suffering like a dog yeah yeah but it was yeah a special moment because i early in my career i was told like i would never what was it what happened 
Oh yeah. Well, early in my career, I was told I, I wouldn't finish that race. And then, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's a hard race, hard race, up, down, up, down, up, down, like shark's teeth all day long. It's yeah. one of the, it's, if not the hardest one day race, it's certainly one of them. And for the listeners, so Liege, Bastange Liege is one of the single day monuments of cycling. So it's like, yeah. it's like winning, uh, it's like winning the masters or the U S open. It's like that kind of a thing. Um, but it is considered to be the climbers classic, right? Sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. This is very, yeah. very punchy. So it was, it was, you were well suited for the race, uh, but to win it. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're still the only American to win a monument, right? I don't, I, I think so. Maybe. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's still, still correct. Uh, 20 years, 20 years later. So that's pretty cool. Pretty Do you guys deal. remember the distance on that that year you did it? How how far was it? Like was it two seventy like or two seventy, two sixty five, two seventy clicks? Yeah. It's it's for for our listeners and our viewers. That's a long way. It's yeah. It's for our listeners and our, our viewers, uh stage racing is where you're racing every day with two days off for twenty one days. The the grand tours, the grand tours are the big twenty one day races. So that's Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France, and the um the Vuelta de España. But the monuments are these brutal, long, cobbly, like you said, like a sawtooth type profile when you're looking at it from the side, up, down, up, down. And um, it, it's a completely different kind of racing. And it's real hard man racing, isn't it? Um, it it's uh, it, it's it really shows you as an all rounder, I think, when you win a when you win a monument. Oh, oh thanks. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. So hard. I mean, uh, the amount of time I spent suffering in, in that race, Liege, best on Liege, just, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess I had a few moments of like, uh, I guess, amazingness or whatever, but like so much suffering, so much suffering, so much hanging on for dear life. Yeah. The first time I did it was in 1997. Yeah. I think I finished every one I did except one where I broke I broke my elbow. I think it was in two thousand and one. Uh, yeah, just hard, hard, and tough. Always tough weather. Sometimes you get some snow. Always a little bit of rain. Yeah, yeah, a lot of and cra well, yeah crashes. Yeah, I w I wanted to uh, that segues nicely into a question that I want to ask you. Is I think a lot of people take for granted how dangerous this is. Like watch entire watch the five hour version of the coverage of even the single day classic. Like it's wildly dangerous. These skinny little roads and European towns and hairpin turns and cobblestones and weather and so so tight together and so much speed. Like you've got, I mean. We don't have enough time on the podcast to tell us about all the crashes you've had and like, oh yeah, so, so, bones. so like, many, so many, crazy. Yeah. And then you have so many, so uh, you have so many close calls, like just and like you don't even have a second to think about it because like you're on to the next moment of sketchiness. So like, but you have so many close, close calls where like where you really just like felt like you dodged a bullet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's part of the sport, and you know, it's it's. It's unfortunate that it's so dangerous. You know, we lost an amazing uh, cyclist this summer by the name of Gino Mater, Mater and uh, the Tour of Switzerland. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, really unfortunate. Um, you know, back in my day, we, you know, a guy crashed right next to me, uh, Andre Kibalev, um, good good friend of Vinukarov's. Um, yeah, back then there was no helmet rule. He didn't have a helmet on, but yeah. 
Yeah, he went down and never never got up. That was it. So, yeah, it's a dangerous sport. It's really dangerous. And, you know, I think they're, they are, I believe, making it better. You know, the, some of the finish line stuff that has gone on in the past, that's getting better. I don't know. With can't, you know, they're, they're suspending riders for dangerous riding. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. The sport's getting better, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously still very dangerous, very dangerous. And now imagine, imagine hit the ground at 60 kilometers an hour with 3% body fat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just horrific injuries. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. to get up and ride for another three weeks sometimes. So, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, now, but now they have like now they have concussion protocol. Back in my day, they didn't. They just right. they would put you on the bike and just push you in the right direction. Sometimes it didn't even know which way to go. You know, so yeah, the sport's becoming better for sure, for sure, a lot better, a lot better. Yeah. And, you know, that makes me happy. Yeah, but yeah, but stuff happens. Yeah, that's so sad. To, I and I was over there this summer. I was there a couple at the Tour of Switzerland on stage number three. Gino Matter, he passed on stage five or. He crashed on stage five, you know, just gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching. I was watching that you know? stage, and they were hitting speeds of, I think was 103 or 105 kilometers an hour, and they were in the alpine. There were no trees, those big drop-offs into those alpine rocks, and he yeah. went off on a fairly high, uh, sort of fairly long hill into a creek. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and an American rider was it? Uh, who was yeah, it? Ma break? Yeah, Magnus Sheffield. He was in the Magnus There's... was in the breakaway. He had crashed two minutes before Gino, and yeah. uh, he had smashed himself really badly. And then, and he's just recently back riding again. He's back riding again. Yeah, but, you know that's got to be really hard. You know, so it's just it's tough. And think about all his his teammates and and his, his family. Yeah, brutal, brutal. So, did, did, and you've got like again. You have a laundry list of getting busted up in bike races and most famously. And you yeah, ride and continue to ride. Yeah, up. I was going to say most famously finishing the tour with a broken yet, collar. You know, some but, of that stuff, some of that was stupid. For, you know, looking back now, it's a 52 totally. For sure. Totally. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I think if that, was, if that was your kid in 20 years from now, you'd be like, yeah, full full stop. What are you doing? But yeah. did, you, did you have to... Was it just to like you got hurt one day back on the bike the next? Like, were you were you scared or did you just kind of put it out of your head until after the race? Yeah, I, I mean, just if I don't know when you you spend so much time working to get to that moment, and you know you you've got this you know level of fitness that you've spent so much time like working working for, and then yeah, like I don't know, I just had a hard time giving up. You know, unless I was really broken in half, like I'm going to keep going. I don't know. Maybe again, maybe that's some of the New England in me. I don't know. Like we're, like we're tough to our, you know, we're sometimes too tough even, right? You know, again, it's a blessing and a curse, right? But, you know, should I have continued in that tour in 2003? I don't know. Like I ground all my teeth down. I don't know. I don't know if it was the best thing to do. I've had all dental problems ever since, you know, but, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't say no. I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't quit. I have a hard time quitting. So I, I think we met in 2016, I think 2016. And in that time, you went from somebody who was giving a lot of their time to talking about doping, talking to young athletes, um, but weren't totally in love with the bike. You're definitely still in love with the outdoors. But in the time that I've known you, I've definitely seen you slowly 
come back to the bike. So when you retired, um, what, what did you immediately do to, because you're, you're fit, you're active, you have been your whole life. Like what did, what did retirement look like at first? And then when did the bike sort of start to creep back into it? Cause it seems like you have a lot of resentment towards it. And when I say the bike, I don't just mean like professional road racing. I mean like bikes in general, like you seem like you're kind of done for a bit. Yeah, I was done for a bit. I don't, um, you know, retired oh nine. I started a small coaching business, which I still have today. I just lost, you know, it was, I think it was, you know, writing the book, the, I wrote a book called The Secret Race. That, I think that just emptied me. And when I was, it, it took two and a half years to write. I did it with a co-author by the name of Dan Coyle. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, for sure. And the I think book. that, yeah, writing that book, and then it came out, and then it was a big whirlwind, which I had, I didn't, I mean, I knew it was going to be maybe a little bit of a whirlwind. I didn't know how. It was gonna be like like it like it was, and yeah, I just got I just got tired. I was tired of it all. I needed a break. I needed a break. And yeah, I took some uh, some time off from it from cycling. And okay, um, I I think it's the the best. I took so, yeah. I need I needed written. I needed some time away from you know I I I couldn't say no to like a charity event. So you know. I'd do a few charity events, but I I couldn't even wear Lycra. I'd wear like baggy mountain bike stuff, shorts and all that. I, there was something I just needed a break from it all. Yeah, and I got out of shape and all that. You know, I think it was I think it was good. I think it was good. So you just let yourself do that. Um, so what I think I think it was healthy, and then, now I love it more than ever. And I'm like I'm sorry that uh, that I turned my back to it, but I think I just needed some time away from it. Yeah, I love it more than ever now, and I love yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. So, and I, I yeah. yeah. Is it a hard transition going from a, from a, well, I mean, let's be frank, a world famous uh, professional athlete on, on one of the greatest cycling teams ever and, and one of the best cyclists? Is it, is it, is it tough just suddenly hanging up the bike and now you're not a professional athlete anymore? You don't have the perks associated with that. You don't have the training, the, the, um, your life was handled back then. Your whole schedule was handled, and even yeah. diet was handled. So, w w what's that like? I mean, retirement's hard for sure, for sure, because it's you know, you know, one thing you're you're fully committed. You know, back then, and I think it's a little bit like that today. It's like you don't really talk about like your future outside of cycling, even if you are thinking about it. You know, no no team manager wants to hear you thinking about like what you're going to do, you know, in the next couple of years after cycling, right? They want you, you, they want you all in all the time. So yeah, when you get to retirement, yeah. I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, you know, I always thought I'd have oh, all these options and within the sport of cycling. So I'll just, I'll figure it out as when it comes along, but you know, my career ended a little bit differently. Yeah. I just kind of, uh, I had to figure out, I had to take a quick, whatever three four or five ten steps back and do some inventory and kind of figure out what i wanted to do yeah and it's not easy not easy one bit you know having to like re reef just figure out who you are who you are and like what what interests you and what you want to do yeah i mean i did a bunch of public speaking after this book came out not by choice but it just kind of these opportunities presented itself you know that that, that lasted a few years and then I figured it was time to move on from that. Tried uh, real estate. I uh, uh, sold real estate here in Missoula for a year. 
you know, I had to get your real estate license, all that. And then I figured, you know, that's not for me. And, you know, you're just, you figure stuff out as you go along. But, um, but yeah, and here I am today. Yeah. Now I work for a money manager. I've been working for, uh, this firm for over four years now. I work on the business development side of things. That's been a lot of fun. Just, I love helping people and like, you know, to help somebody, you know, with financial decisions and, and, and to help improve their life is, uh, it's pretty gratifying, pretty gratifying. Yeah. We work with a lot of the world tour cyclists, which has been really cool. And a lot of the retired world tour cyclists, like, uh, some people that were, you know, even before my time. So it's been fun to kind of, you know, help some of these individuals, men and women out. And, um, yeah, we also have a special fund within my firm called the Pro Cyclist Fund. And uh, we give a certain percentage of the management fees back to the Pro Cyclist Foundation, which gives back to the sport of, of cycling. Help a lot of development teams. Um, yeah, it's been great. We've given away over, I don't know, some, half a million bucks over the last like three years. So, yeah, it's been uh, That's amazing. Yeah, it's been cool. It's been cool. To, yeah, I don't know. Life is so... Um, yeah, th life throws you all sorts of like curveballs all the time. It's pretty, um, it's pretty wild. But it's been nice to kind of get back in the sport a little bit, you know. I don't know all these individuals, but I, you know, some of these individuals have gotten to know a little bit, and it's been it's fun helping. It's fun helping, and it's fun. And sometimes I just you know, give give them, you know, advice from a old fifty two year fifty two year old retired cyclist. Yeah, it's it's really it's we almost need a different word for it, too. It's really weird to sign the word retired to somebody who's in their 30s. Like you're, a, you, you know, a young man, like it's it's uh, it's it's crazy to think about it that way. It's not it's a it's a career transition. It's not retirement, really. But I think it's great that your current career is tied to your previous career. I think that that's um, appropriate, you know, that, that you can have a hand in it still. Oh, it's been fun. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, you know, thank hats off to my boss, but the chief investment officer for, you know, taking a gamble on me. You know, I appreciate that for sure. Are you, are you still dealing with the repercussions of, of your time at, uh, postal? The, I'm, I'm speaking obviously about, about the, the, the steroid, the drug use, or is that something that is, that is ever brought up or that is, are you still feeling negative repercussions from that? I mean, I think you still, I mean, you feel it all the time. Not, not all the time, but yeah. I mean, it'll be with me for the rest of my life, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm not but, talking about from you internally, but I'm talking about from others. Do you, do you, are you yeah. getting friction from people that you used to race with before still or? Not, not on the daily or weekly, but you feel it every once in a while. Yeah. But it's all, it's all good. Every, everyone has the right to their own opinion, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. And like, uh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Honestly, when the book came out, I received so much like forgiveness. It was insane. Like too much. Like it was hard. It was hard to deal with. I, I don't, I don't know. It kind of might sound weird, but it was, um, but yeah, it was, it was, I went from having my, my name is black all the time to like receiving a lot of like, a lot of love, you know? And that was, um, yeah, I'm. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. It's where, where I am, where I am today, for sure, for sure. I mean, made a lot of mistakes. You know, I've learned so much, so much, and yeah, 
Now I have, kids, I have two stepsons and a son of my own. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. I feel lucky. Yeah, and lucky yeah, to get on the other side. Other son, you know, a lot of other people who have been in a situation similar to mine, you haven't made it out the other side. Haven't you know aren't around today, or some have just really struggled. And you know, it's, it's yeah, not easy. Over, not easy. Yeah, not easy. Not easy. Yeah, but he's doing a lot better. That's all he's better now. Yeah, yeah. He's he's, so, he's, he's been so, through the ringer. Yeah, he's such a cool person. Such a totally. Cool. He's got a yeah. huge heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, yeah. We people need to be treated with some empathy. I mean, like even Marco Pantani, uh, uh, like look, he, he. I know that he died of cocaine use, but is this like is that type of recreational drug use related to the pressures of his the rest of his life? Pro like probably, right? Probably. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, I think. uh yeah, you 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 are lucky. You are lucky to have come out of that in, in an okay spot, man. It's just yeah. like, yeah, wild. Uh, and you know, thankful for really like my friends and family for sure, for sure. Because not everyone had a great support system for sure. You know, so so yeah. Okay, let's um tell us tell us what is a typical what does the typical routine look like for you now? Like, how do you stay fit? What do you do now for activity? I know there's some there's some bike riding in there for sure. I get out on the bike like once a week if I'm lucky. Yeah. I got a busy life now. Yeah. Wake up early. Yeah. I'm young. I have a two year old and then 11 and nine year old stepsons. Yeah. Yeah. Getting kids off to school. They're on the right bus. Yeah. All, all the above. Yeah. A lot of civilian life, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, wake up early. Yeah. To bed early, too. To bed super early. I feel like I'm in a stage race right now. And it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like it's just, but it's not ending. It doesn't end after three weeks. You know, nope. no, doing so, which means I got to take care of myself, like, you know, getting enough rest, eating, eating the right foods, drinking, drinking, staying hydrated, all that, you know, going, going to bed early, getting up early. Yeah. You got to have bandwidth to like do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are you yeah. able to work from home then with your, with your, your new yeah group? yeah yeah this this year i'm i'm uh taking care of my young son from from home working from home yeah i'll probably get down to the office a, a couple times good there in uh boulder colorado yep yeah so it's uh you know but yeah lucky me that i've a flexible job yeah thanks to my boss for you know letting me being understanding of this situation yeah but yeah so most of the year we'll be working from home here in missoula montana well, we want to have uh, you back on to uh, pick your brain more about what's happening in the pro world and stuff too, because that's uh, always interesting to hear your perspective on it. But um, I mean, it's I, been an exciting season, right? Oh, I mean, it's been crazy. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So much to talk to talk about. How about how about Sepp Coos? Oh, that's what I want. Something about, but let's yeah. let's have a let's have a like a tour focus or not a like a grand a cycling focus chat next time. I want to talk about. Yumbo Visma's domination. I want to talk about all the trade rumors and and Seth, yeah. who's like, can you? That guy's so nice, Tyler. Like he could be Canadian. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I he, bet he's got. I bet he, he must have Canadian roots or something. Yeah. Oh, he's so nice. He's holy shit. This so nice. nice guy. We were all awesome. Yeah. 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 But on that angle, Roots stage when they when they took off on him, I was screaming at the TV like, "Don't do that." The whole, the, the whole cycling was, world was rooting for him. That, that was the toughest moment of the Vuelta. It was that moment right there where, you know, he got the gap and, you know, his head kind of went down. 
but hats off to him. Oh, he's a hard man. Hats off to him for not giving up or like, I mean, if he lost another 10 seconds, they, they wouldn't have like been giving him back the jersey if, if nope. Giannis had taken it, right? So, and thanks to that, yeah, you know, yeah, we he, do talk a lot about all this, but yeah, and he would he rode three grand tours in a season, yeah, and he rode them as a as the best climbing, the best climbing domestique on on earth. Like that's the hardest job around. It's so hard, so hard. The guy must yeah. be a machine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, huge talent. You know, grew up in Durango, Colorado. Uh, what is it, seventy five, hundred feet, something like Crescar, that. Skier, Crescar, yeah, skier, yeah. Family, super athletic yeah but good such a good guy such not big that's the biggest thing such a good guy good for a good thing you know one of the good guys won that's cool to see you know yeah not I many nice guys do finish first once a while you know but he yeah it almost didn't happen but you know so so happy and did and he deserved it for sure for sure yeah yeah I, and you just a man i would open my instagram feed and just everybody everybody every everybody who pays any attention to cycling was like oh my god they've got to make sure that he wins this thing like people were so but this is good for the sport though to have things that are sort of more uh, these types of stories reach the mainstream in sure. a sort of a different way right so sure. it's things becoming it's becoming more of a year-round sport which is it is really it cool is great for the sport and like in defense of everything that happened then positive negative whatever like a situation like this has never happened before. So, like, they were in uncharted territory, right? So, yeah. great, great, I think great, everyone yeah. can, like, you know, no one meant anything bad or, you know, there were some ruffled feathers for sure. But, like, I think everything happened the way it should have gone, right? And it's a relief because the we everybody feels like the correct outcome for came, sure. to, came, to, came to be, right? Yeah. For so. sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we uh, have to have you back. We have to. Um, so um, now this thanks, is, we've guys. set it up. So, you know, whenever you can make time for it, man, yeah. we'd love to have you. And listen, I know you have a special spot in your heart for Canada. So uh, you tell tell us when you can get up here and we'll make time and we'll ride some bikes and cause some trouble in the woods. How's everything up there? Good? Yeah, it's good. Beautiful yeah. fall, just like it yeah. is in Missoula, like warm and stunning yeah. fall. Yeah. Yeah, it's That's been excellent. T tough year with smoke. You probably yeah. got the same. Yeah, well, we yeah, talked yeah. about it. Yeah. How's all that? How's all that going? It's okay it's now. Yeah. yeah, it's gone. It's clear. Yeah. yeah, we're having a beautiful fall, and um, it'll probably snow any day and just uh, crush yeah. our dreams. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Hey, hey, really nice to see you guys. Yeah, good night chat. Good show. Keep up the good work. Yeah, you guys are rocking it. I think you're Thanks, a good brother. team. You're a good team. Yeah, I appreciate it. Big shoes to fill. I, oh, I, I miss oh. you, but but Laval's uh, pretty awesome. He's the man. He's the man. I'm telling you, you guys are a perfect match. Perfect. Hey, match. You look after your little man Hudson there, and uh, we appreciate you juggling the pot. Canada's changing diapers and juggling a two-year-old. That's probably the toughest job on earth. So keep it up. Good job, uh, Dad. Uh, thanks, you guys. Really nice to see you both. I look thanks, look forward to the next time. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Okay. Bye, Take guys. Care. Bye, Hudson. Yeah. <laughs>
Once again, thank you to Tyler. Thank you everybody for listening. And a reminder of the power meter giveaway contest. We're going to give away a couple of power meters and a couple of heart rate monitors from 4i Innovations. The way to enter that is shoot us an email to adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com or a note on our Instagram page, which is Adventure Audio. Uh, easy to find there. Just send us a DM. And the, the answer to the question that you need is what year did Tyler and I meet? That's the clue for this episode. We're going to run this for four episodes in a row. You can enter more than once. Shoot us a note. Or if there's anything that you heard about in the episode that you want to comment on, of course, we would love to hear from you too. But enter to win and we're going to give those away after episode four. Thank you to 4i for supporting the show. And thanks everybody for tuning in.